0: The Philippine military has been prominent in Philippine politics. Many scholars have noted that this imbalance in Philippine civil-military relations is an indicator of the country's democratic backsliding that has perhaps reached new heights under the presidency of Rodrigo Duterte. How did this civil-military dynamics come about? What are its historical roots? And what is the ideal role of the military in a democracy? Because politicians with a military background
1: Retired military generals
0: in cabinet
2: positions
0: a politicized military <laughs> Hi I am Li delaria
2: I am Vecal Porja I am Aaron Malari
0: and this is podcast Conversations on Philippine history, politics and society. Isa na namang interesanteng topic ang pag-uusapan natin today. Politics and the military. Parang sanina tayo na makita ang mga graduates ng Philippine Military Academy or ng PMA na after their retirement, lumilipat bakod para maging senador, may naging presidente pa nga, o di kaya ma sa ibat ibang mga cabinet positions na siguro akala natin normal lang ito, ano?
2: Pero hindi ito ideal. Ayan, simula palang tinapos ko na yung episode na to, ano Sinasabi natin na hindi ideal uh, yung maraming mga military men taking over government positions or being el- being in elective positions. Uh, maraming dalang problema kasi talaga, yung politicized military. Or when the military sees politics as an alternative career.
1: Pero bakit? So to answer this... Uh, we talked to Dr. Aris Arugay, professor of political science from the Department of Political Science of the University of the Philippines, Diliman, to help enlighten us regarding this topic. Unang tanong natin sa kanya, in a democracy, what is the role of the military?
3: Ang isang sabihin na natin, uh, militar, minsan sa ating lingwayang tawag, sandatang lakas, no, armed forces. Ang role niya sa isang demokrasya, ay ang pagpapatibay ng mga prinsipyo, norms at institutions nito. At ang key na prinsipyo ng isang demokrasya ay popular sovereignty na yung soberanya ay nasa tao at ang may kapangyarihan ay yung mga hinahalal ng mga civilian. At pag sinabi nating civilian, hindi ito formal na parte ng military kaya merong sa ating konstitusyon, that civilian authority is always supreme over the military, tinatawag natin civilian supremacy. And therefore, sa isang demokrasya, or even in any modern state, the military is subservient to civilian political authority. Kaya ang isang trabaho ng isang pangulo o ang isang uh, head of state ay commander-in-chief of the armed forces because ultimate authority over the military should not be given to the uniform. Kasi pag ganon, that means the military is already ruling rather than being the coercive or violent arm of the state. At alam natin sa Politics 101 that ito yung esensya ng isang estado. The monopoly of the legitimate instruments of violence. Yung main instrument noon yung militar. So, very critical yung role niya, lalo na sa pagpapatibay ng integridad ng Estado laban sa mga kaaway na panlabas. So doon makikita natin na in any democracy, the military ideally is in charge of national security. Ito ay ang pagpapatibay o pagdidepensa ng interes ng isang bansa, lalo na sa mga... Threats o sa mga maaaring uh, maging mga kaaway ng bansa na panlabas externally. unit alam natin, while ito yung ideal, napakaraming demokrasya na mga bago at maraming mga bansa sa mundo, yung mga tinatawag natin na post-colonial states, na hindi ito yung trabahong ibinibigay sa militar.
2: Maganda yung paliwanag ni Aris ano, tungkol sa ano dapat ang papel ng military. Una, national security. At kadalasan, yung panlabas, directed towards outsiders or foreign powers. Ikalawa, they are subservient to civilian authority. Kaya nga kung nagkataka ang ilan sa ating mga listeners, bakit ang president ang commander-in-chief of the military? This is because the president represents the highest civil authority. So this tells the military na, Hoy, yung ibinoto at ipinili naming presidente ang head nyo. So ibig sabihin, there is civilian supremacy. And the president need not wear some ill-fitting military fatigue to send that message.
1: Kaya nga ba civil, nauuna yung civil sa so civil-military relations. Uh, kasi may, may primacy yung civilian authority. Nabanggit din ni Aris na the military wields the state's legitimate instruments of violence. This much power is given to an institution to defend the country. Imagine if that institution is politicized. It could mean disaster for any democracy.
0: Kaya naman, we need not look far for an example of how bad it can get for some countries when the military plays a more hegemonic role in the state. Nariyan ng Myanmar, ang Thailand, mga kapitbahay natin. Sa mga post-colonial states, sabi nga Aris, iba yung papel ng military. Ang Pilipinas, post-colonial state din naman. Pero bakit iba ang military natin sa mga kapitbahay natin? Aries explains in this snippet from our interview.
3: If you are not aware of our military, the military, it is clear natin. the Armed Forces of the Philippines, while it traces its origins with the Katipunan, officially the Philippine Army, which is the first manifestation of the Philippine military, was created by Commonwealth Act No. 1, and by virtue of this, it is therefore a colonial army, meaning it was established by American colonial power. But we all know formally, because the Katipunan wasn't a successful revolution, unlike Indonesia, for example, the Indonesian military traces its origins from the Dutch colonial struggle and they won. And because of that, the Indonesian military is a liberation army. Tayo kasi colonial, meaning it was imposed, it was created by the Americans. At dail colonial army siya, it had no say on its role. In fact, its first mandates or missions, because military my mom mission was against the hooks, was against domestic enemies. Because the Americans were building military installations in the Philippines, the biggest outside of the mainland, US, Subic and Clark would eventually become the biggest military installations when we were granted independence outside of, of U.S. territory. At dahil doon, para nagkaroon ng external defense shield ang Pilipinas. So parang sabi ng mga Americans, huwag yun na problemahin yung external defense. Sagot na namin yan. Kaya lang, marami kayong kaaway sa loob. Kaaway, quote-unquote. Maraming threats sa Philippine Commonwealth and eventually the Philippine Republic. From the get-go, unfortunately, we did not satisfy the external defense mission normally given to the military, very domestic-oriented yung ating military. Kaya kung titignan mo, di ba, the hooks became the PKP, mahaba yung hugot. No, Kaya ka ngayon merong NTFL ka. Kasi, the military is still fighting its original enemy that was imposed by American colonial power. So, in other words, if you notice, while in our constitution, it says that the armed forces of the Philippines is the protector of the state and its people, actually, malaking debate yon no? Kasi in other countries, hindi nila nilalagay yon because that's an entry point for politicization. Because the military can then determine whether a government is still serving the people. And if it does not, parang sinasabi ng constitution, part of your duty is to protect the people from oppressive governments which you cannot find in the constitutions of other modern democracies because the military is a non-deliberative institution. Meaning, it cannot even get to that point to judge the legitimacy of governments because it should not deliberate. It should merely follow. Ito yung ginagamit na basihan and if you notice, all the military adventures in politics, kasi Sabi ko nga, the Philippines might be the only country wherein the military did not successfully stage a coup, yung military initiated. Kasi the only successful military intervention in political crisis that the military has done was during EDSA 2. EDSA 1 was not. EDSA 1 was a failure, di ba? It was an aborted coup. It's the only country wherein the military is politicized and powerful despite not staging a successful coup ever in its history.
0: Gusto ko yung pag-ihistoricize ni Aris ng kasaysayan ng Philippine military. Ano? Iba yung naging development ng ating military. The fact that it was mandated by the Americans during the U.S. occupation of the country to focus on internal issues, rebellion, itong mga hooks, mukhang naging historical arch-nemesis na ng ating military, ang mga insurgents, mga rebels, at later on, mga komunista. Sabi rin
2: ni Aris, yung phrasing ng role of the military sa ating constitution somehow enables the politicization of this institution. The military can say, well, this government is not serving the people, then we must remove this government. Parang mahirap naman ba?
1: Totoo yan, no? Dapat hindi yung trabaho ng military kasi nga, sabi ni Aris, it is not a deliberative institution. Dapat, in, in theory, sumusunod sila. Interestingly, Never pa naman talagang nangyari na primarily through the military, nasipa yung isang pamahalaan natin. They play a role, yes, but none of the coups has ever been successful despite the politicization of our military. Perhaps the Philippine military still subscribes to the most basic tenets of their subservience to the state. Uh, let's listen to Aris h- how he explains this.
3: Sa atin what accounts for this interventionist tendency and this highly politicized military, babalik ako doon sa roles na binigay sa kanya. Because the more domestic, at comparatively, if you look at other countries, the more domestic ang nature ng military missions, the more politicized it gets. Kasi kung yung military nakikita na, ba daming kurakot na politiko? Because, you know, not everyone is attracted to serve in the military. It might sound romanticized, but some people are really driven by, by values, by love of country, patriotism, loyalty, duty. And then they see the, the civilian politicians who are supreme over them are actually the ones causing the problem. So my individual na ganong dynamic no? at the level of the individual officers. But institutionally, iniiba natin yun minsan eh. Because the military is still a corporate institution. Yung kanilang pagiging politicized has also something to do with the inability of civilian government to professionalize the military. Because some civilian politicians wants a politicized military kasi pwede nilang gawing instrumento in their political agenda. Uh, So dito papasok, whether yung politician mo is really thinking of the national interest, meaning a military that's professional, that's oriented toward external defense, or a military that is politicized, and therefore, pwede nyong gamitin as a weapon against your political enemies, as we have seen, in fact, in civilian governments, particularly during martial law and even after martial law.
1: The more domestic the nature of military missions, the more politicized they get. And these people in the military, they were trained Uh, They were drilled to love the country, be selfless, at iba pang values. So, when they see that something is wrong, they are somehow driven to act.
0: And these military values like honor, integrity, selflessness, at iba pa, these values are the same ones we'd like our political leaders to have, diba? Kaya rin siguro itong mga military men and men kasi the military is also a hyper masculine institution siguro pag-usapan natin yan sa ibang episode anyway military men make for great political candidates kasi nga they have these values kumbaga they can say anak ah, na yan sa bayan so military people can bank on that and say that they will continue to do so we have had leaders do precisely that Ramon Magsaysay was a war hero Ferdinand Marcos was a Well, he was a fake military hero, but they have used that as a launchpad for their political careers.
2: Yung inversion naman yan ay yung mga non-military politicians seeing the potential of the military for their political agenda. Ito naman yung isang side ng politicization ng military when it is induced by self-serving politicians for their interest. So when did this start? For Aris, it starts with martial law. Over time, nakita yung martial law kasi very
3: institutionalized participation na military. In fact, Marcos called the military a partner in national development. So in terms of martial law, you only have a civilian, quote-unquote, head. But actually, the regime itself was highly militarized. Fast forward tayo post-martial law. So ano yung nangyari? What basically happened across these administrations was that there was really a lack of attention to professionalizing the military. There's a theory sa civil-military relations. The more the military is modernized, it's highly capable. The more that it's focused on its external mission, the less politicized it becomes. Unfortunately, post-martial law, the Philippines is one of the most underfunded militaries in Asia. Dito papasok that we were not... and, and I know some people might give us a hard time, give me a hard time by saying na, Teka, ibig mong sabihin, dapat pinupondohan natin yung military. Isn't that anathema to democracy? Let's give them toys so that they won't meddle in politics. But you are giving the military the means to really perform its ideal mission. Sa akin, unless we're really secured about our national interest, calling for the abolition of the military, is a big no no for me because I would want a military that's more externally focused, that's really guarding the territorial integrity of the Republic. Kaya lang hindi nga ganun. Eh.
2: So, post martial law, the military was not professionalized, it was underfunded. It cannot perform what it was ideally meant to do. So, maaari rin siguro nagkaroon ng discontent with the military. I mean, sa dami ng kulita ng panahon ni Cory. Hindi mala yung, uh, yun ay dahil hindi sila masaya sa sitwasyon. Yung pag-regain ng civilian supremacy.
1: Perhaps this could also be due to the limits set by the Constitution for military spending. Kasi diba, the 1987 Constitution actually prohibits allocating more funds to the military compared to education. Uh, which is good naman, but our education budget has always been lower than the ideal standard. So, kung mas mababa pa for the military, baka nga naman may source of discontent, diba? Uh, tapos, nakikita nila ang corruption in the civil government. So, this could be a rationale for them to seek for reform through other means. Not overthrowing the government per se, but... Looking toward changing the situation through the executive or legislative branches of government.
0: And through the executive, we have seen how retired generals have occupied cabinet positions. Let's listen to Aris explain this phenomenon.
3: Ang nakikita natin is that yung phenomenon ng retired generals during the time of Duterte, yun yung peak. Because other administrations before, meron naman eh, pero manaka For example... To my count, there has only been four Secretaries of National Defense since 1986, 1987, after law, no, That has no military background. Orly Mercado, no non-Cruz. I won't count Gloria Arroyo because she served concurrently as President and d secretary. No, Secretary. Bert Gonzalez and Gibo Chudoro. They had no military background, meaning they did not go to PMA. They did not get any ranks from the police or the military but the rest are all retired generals, retired chief of staff. And during the time of Duterte, this spilled over a lot of cabinet portfolios that normally you would not give to the military. Sang kanalakitah DSWD secretary military, sa nakita peace process, sa environment. And ang sabi ko nga may multiplier effect yan. When you appoint a retired general to head a cabinet agency, he brings forth his PMA batch, or everyone who worked under him when he was still a military commander. So, my multiplier effect. Malaking debate yan. Some people believe na pag-retired civilian na. Kasi hindi na naka-uniformen. But the counter to that is in countries wherein formal institutions and formal norms on governance are not yet established, My blurring of boundaries between the formal and informal. What is the implication on the civilian bureaucracy. From what I gather, lalo na during the Duterte administration, it really regresses the development of our bureaucracy. Because papalitan naman pala sila ng ex-military and it somehow gives the military a signal that they all have second careers. Pero bakit nagiging employment agency sila ng gobyerno? Why can't they just enjoy their retirement? One trade-off of appointing all these military generals is that they don't appreciate the plurality of views necessary for policymaking because they're always on crisis mode. Quick fixes that they don't pa yung repercussions and ramifications. And then we've seen this in the Philippine pandemic response. Not every policy challenge, policy issue is a crisis. And we've seen that it requires a lot of thinking from multiple perspectives. So, the diversity of views in a cabinet, the diversity of views necessary for effective policy-making, that's not enough. And the military is a non-deliberative institution. And I think we need to emphasize that the benefits of appointing ex-military officials should be balanced with the possible limitations. They're not really trained to lead.
0: Striking sa akin yung point ni Aris about cabinet positions becoming a second career. But is there anything wrong with this? Nabanggit ni Aris yung regression sa ating bureaucracy. Pati yung very nature ng pagiging isang ex-military person.
2: Siyempre, dala niya yung military working style nila, ano?
1: And uh, military mind, as Aris said, kung iisipin mo nga naman, sa military, walang discussion. It's about following orders. It's
0: true. They are not really trained to lead. They are trained to follow and is there really a place for a military mind say in the DENR? former DNR secretary Simatu was an ex-military and you know what he did about the Manila Bay cleanup he fashioned it into a battle the battle for Manila Bay ang tawag niya in honor of the many battles fought down in the Manila Bay and this is so funny just recently the DNR with the DND unveiled plans to build a battle cannon replica in the Manila Bay Imagine an environmental protection agency building a cannon replica. That's what the military mind does to an agency that, quite frankly, does not need it.
2: Tama yung sabi ni Aris. It's always crisis thinking, crisis response, and not every problem requires this kind of thinking. Kailangan, ng multiple perspectives.
1: The military is a non-deliberative institution nga. Kaya nga siguro Duterte pander to the military, kasi he wants yes men yung na yes men people who will just follow orders anong repercussions nito sa current state of the Philippine military in the elections? Uh, this is what Aris has to say
3: The Duterte's administration has put a lot of the military's agenda front and center against terrorists against communists and even civil society organizations who are perceived to be aiding insurgents na na and the promise is that They will end the communist insurgency by the time the Duterte administration uh, steps down. And this is not happening. What does this mean? That, again, the mission isn't finished. But the military saw, because Duterte is the first president, to really unconditionally side with the military on these issues. So the military will make sure, or at least will want, a similar president, because this mission is unfinished. You're talking about the only military in Southeast Asia who has never been victorious in a war that it has waged in its history. It wasn't victorious against the Spanish, against the Americans, against the Japanese. Although, of course, have use of But across post-independence, we have the longest-running maoist inspired insurgency in the world, if not in Asia. Unlike in other countries like our neighbors, either they became governments or they were vanquished. Uh, The Philippine military is still fighting this long, protracted war. And this is why they wanted a government that will have the same disposition as the Duterte administration. So, makikita natin that they might support, or some of them have already formally endorsed or supported. Some of them are retired, of course, but we all know the retired active division is more a formal line than an actual division no, within the military. Some of them have already expressed preference for Marcos Jr. because Marcos Jr. has categorically said that he will continue the NTFL, ka. he will continue the fight against violent extremists, against So basically copying Duterte's security agenda. Uh, the war on drugs will still continue, etc. So they see that Marcos Jr. represents. And they see that he is, since he is leading at least the surveys, that he has the best chance. Even if you have, supposedly, another military-trained candidate, no? Panfilo Lacson.
1: Medyo itong president na sinet ni Duterte, ano? And I agree with Aris. The military might be inclined to support someone who will continue Duterte's policies and stances regarding, for example, sa communist insurgency. And alam naman natin na it's Marcos Jr. who is positioning himself as the Duterte
2: successor at least sa level ng policy agenda. And this just goes to show that the upcoming election is an important exercise for us voters to set things right, you know, uh, to put the military in its rightful position. I mean, we are already aware of what the Philippine military can do, how it has historically positioned itself, how it has considered its natural enemies, the communists, sabinearies. We already know what the military's trigger points are. But the upcoming elections is not particularly reassuring. This is what he had to say about this.
3: What I fear is that in these upcoming elections, some elements have already red tagged some candidates, has already linked some candidates with the communist movement, even if the Duterte administration's Secretary of Justice has already expressed an opinion that there's nothing wrong with it. But regardless of that, there is such a McCarthy anti communist sentiment right now in Philippine politics that it is disturbing. It has shaped the mind through disinformation that anything to do with, with the communist and even the broader term left is an enemy of the state. So this is something that is quite scary because it's a slippery slope. And therefore, as voters, I think we should cast our vote informed in a way that will not allow such thinking to continue. That will somehow make sure to remind the military... That it must be subservient to civilian authority and not the other way around, but to also be very vigilant against civilian politicians who would invite the military into politics. And this is a cross because I observe that it's not simply monopolized by one candidate. It seems like a lot of Filipino politicians have become so accustomed because it's normalized. For example, pag security matters, military lang yung pinol console. But National security is not a default military area. Because national security is civilian in nature. Hindi rin dapat tayo magpadala na pag-military. Sila lang ang may alam sa national security, sa security policy. Diyon, no? But that also means that we must groom, train, educate, and equip civilian experts in national defense. Because if there's a critical core of those, then the military's monopoly could be challenged. And if you ask some of the military officials, they submit to civilian experts in national security and defense. Because they know the strategic and tactical level lang eh, or operational level. But strategic-wise, policy-wise, the military is not involved in, in those processes. It's civilians who craft that. So hopefully, the elections will produce a government that is wary of the repercussions of having the military dominate policymaking. They could serve as inputs, they could be consulted, but at the end, civilians must make security policy. Because if not, then we're just simply empowering the military who's already empowered in, in a way.
0: May danger talaga na itong anti-communist narrative, itong red-tagging, anti-left tendency ng Duterte administration. And they agree, this coming elections, it's our chance talaga to set things right. Sabing nga to put the military in their rightful place. Kasi as Aris said, national security and security policy are not the monopoly of the military.
1: And we have people in the academe like Aris and other scholars who do not come from a military background but are adept in analyzing security issues. Kailangan balansehin natin yung conversation. The government does not need people who will just say yes to whatever the political elite says. It needs people who will enable an environment that is conducive to discussions and argumentations to better improve
2: the nation. And for sure, we need the perspectives of all peoples from different walks of life. Lahat tayo may maibabahagi sa ng bansa. Alright,
1: we would like to thank Professor Aris Arugay for joining us in this conversation. Marami pang insights si Aris, so if you are interested in listening to our full interview with him it's exclusively available sa aming website podcast.org
0: and if you want more of podcasts and to continue the conversation na rin, like, follow at subscribe na sa aming Facebook Instagram YouTube LinkedIn and Twitter where we just recently reached 1000 likes
2: at magkapatulo yang hindi na bago yan next week so abangan yan. for now stay safe and have a good day